I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. Today's episode, we conclude our five-part series on the transcendental desires. We're talking about good, evil, justice, injustice, and comfort. Hey, Jenna. Um, oh, shoot. I probably should have asked you if I've asked you this joke before. Did I tell you, Have I told you my joke about construction? No. Okay, good, because I'm still working on it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> construction. Working. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 17. Oh, my goodness. Yes, 17. Uh, Jenna, you want to share your joy, Jen Jesus? Yes. My joy is that I'm pregnant still. <laughs> Um, it's just so fun because she's gotten so big and literally you can watch her elbow or her knee or something go across my stomach Mm -hmm. and it's just so fun because she's gotten so big. Um, my junk is that I'm officially off work and I feel like I'm just like constantly missing out Mm. and I have that urge to do things and... I have, I still have a class that I can put like my energy into, but I have just this like constant feel of needing to do things. Um, you should start needle pointing. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> I could, I could, I guess, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, and then my Jesus moment is that a good friend of mine and Matt's uh, just got ordained a priest yeah. on Saturday. Congratulations, Father Aristotle. Father Aristotle. And I'm so excited for him, and it was so beautiful to watch the whole Mass and just witness that sacrifice and him receiving that sacrament and becoming a priest and laying down his life. It was very beautiful. It's awesome. He served as a seminary and intern at my parish, and one of his first Masses was at our parish, but he's going to be stationed at your parish during his first assignment, so it's so cool that we both will get to see him. Awesome. Yeah, that's yours. Uh, My joy is... Uh, we moved into our house exactly two months ago today. Oh, wait. One month ago. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. One month ago. Yeah. <laughs> One month ago today, and all of the house renovations, projects, absolutely everything is finished. <laughs> um, and there's just been little things hanging back like that need to get finished, and they finally got done this week. So my junk is that I am very tired, but very... Like, I have a lot of things that I want to do because I'm very excited because of my Jesus moment, which was that I was at CYMC all this week, Jealous. which is the Catholic Youth Ministry Convention that Life Teen puts on in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, such, such an awesome, awesome um, week in Scottsdale, which is like a thousand other youth ministers and core members who are like on fire for the Lord and for youth ministry. Um, and just the, the prayer and the quality of the sessions and the community and just all the, like, just even little ideas that I got. I'm like super excited to put into practice, but like too tired to move at the same time. <laughs> so like, it's just a reminder that like, Jesus, this is all about you. You're doing this and I'm just, you're very sloppy tired instrument in this moment so um but yeah so i was really so it's my junk and my jesus um put well together. cymc was where we like started our friendship really. yeah that's like where we became best friends yeah. oh that's so sweet that's like it was like three years ago yeah we found ourselves happened. on the floor of a, a <laughs> ralph's or yeah something. we don't want to get into that story but <laughs> but it's let's just say bonding happened Lots unlike bonding. bonding i was very sick and the <laughs> floor was very cold and it felt very good yes so i laid down (laughs) 
And what do you do when you're best friends with someone? You lay down with them. Yep. It was good. In the liquor section. It was fine. Of an Albertsons in we Arizona. Were looking for at 10 bug PM. ointment. <laughs> Not even. Yeah. Um, anyways, so uh, this is our, if you have been listening, the fifth and last of our five part series on the transcendental desires. Um, basically, to summarize, we all have these five desires. We all share them uh, for perfect love, being, truth, beauty, and today we're going to talk about the last one, goodness. And we've been talking about them in the sense that they all have traditional opposites, but those aren't the most uh, directly opposed qualities or distortions of these desires. Those five things um, are actually more more in the middle ground in line with uh, Revelation 3.16, if I'd rather you be hot or cold, but if you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. And so we've talked about that the opposite of love is not hate, it is the lukewarm alternative of fear. And the opposite of being is not non-being or solitude, it is uh, tokenism, when your whole being or identity is one aspect of who you are. Um, The opposite of truth is not lies, it's tolerance. The opposite of beauty is not ugliness, it's glamour. And today we're going to be talking about the fact that the opposite of goodness is not evil or badness, um, but comfort. Um, So we're going to be talking about how that is the most lukewarm or the most distorted uh, version of of goodness. Um, And so first, as when we're getting into this discussion, we have to kind of talk about like the difference between badness and evil. Is badness a word? Well, like good and bad. Like, yeah, (laughs) let's say that Like we all have a desire for perfect good. Yes. um, And the opposite would be bad. Yeah. Um, But how do you define that? Like, this one is like, we're not advocating for like, if you're just sitting around comfortable, it would be better for you to just go and do outright evil. Mm-hmm. However, like there are things that are perceived as bad or as opposed to the good, especially when you get to like social justice issues or things like that, that a lot of times we think like, oh, these people are terribly evil, but a lot of times they're acting out of what they think is their best intention. Right. Um, and they're already doing something. They're already acting. They already have this momentum that is much more easily directed toward the good if we can just help them understand where their misunderstandings took place rather than someone who is indifferent and just sits around and does nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that really is um, is what Jesus preaches a lot against when he talks about different issues. Um, and so in particular, this isn't Jesus speaking, but this is um, James in the letter of James In chapter 1, verse 22, he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deluding yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his own face in a mirror. He sees himself, then goes off and promptly forgets what he looked like. (laughs) And that is just like, I think that's something that is so prevalent in our culture. Like we, we are designed to be people who act like we we have a will we have free will that's something that separates us from other creatures it's something that god particularly imparted to us but when we're not exercising that will we're not doing something that's like we've forgotten who we are mm-hmm. and we just fall into this very comfortable setting and this happens right in the beginning of james and then then he goes into talking about bad actions and sins because he wants to make sure that first of all you understand that you have to be acting You have to be acting. You have to be doing something. You can't be comfortable. Then he talks about if you are acting and you're not doing the right thing, here's how you correct that. Mm -hmm. But you have to talk about that comfort first. And that's really what's pervasive in our culture. And all these five lukewarm alternatives we've talked about, fear, tokenism, tolerance, glamour, and now comfort, this is our the postmodern world that we live in. Uh, We see this all the time in secular society, uh, and especially with a lot of different, different issues. 
Well, we see, I mean, especially in ministry, we see how when any of us are diving into our faith and we're being active with our faith, whether that is reading the Bible, sitting in adoration, um, doing something that is enriching your prayer life, it's really easy to stay, to be in that moment and to recognize who you are and who like God has called you to be. Mm -hmm. But the minute that you step out of that prayer experience, it's really hard to remember that in a way. Like, you know, we see our teens do that so often that they'll be in the midst of adoration. They're like, I get it, I get it. And then they leave that moment and they've all of a sudden forgot. And we kind of have this like spiritual amnesia. All of a sudden we've forgotten who we are or what God has told us um, or how to get back to that. And it's really hard to kind of sometimes if you get out of that routine of prayer to get back into it because we don't remember necessarily what it's like Yeah, to its extent. Yeah. CYMC, Sarah Swafford, who's a, a national speaker, um, she was talking about um, how I think she had this job. She was like her favorite job she ever had was a bank teller because at the end of the day, her... <clears throat> Cash box balanced completely. It was perfect. And she was able to lock it in a vault. And the next day was exactly how it was. Mm-hmm. And yet in ministry, you see like a teen, exactly like you're saying, yes. go in adoration. And you're like, okay, now just stay exactly how you are. And yes. I'm going to lock you in this bank vault. And next time we talk, like you're not going to have changed at all. Like everything is going to be the same. And that's not the case because like our culture is all about comfort. Yeah. Everything is about comfort. I mean, you can think of anything from fashion to furniture to... Um, entertainment to media like mm-hmm. the way we have access to anything at, at the tip of our fingers like um, everything is about just making it more convenient and comfortable for us and um, we've forgotten how to to do well in those uncomfortable situations and so we have a generation of people who don't know how to communicate when it comes to conflict management who don't know how to communicate really in general because it's all been through their thumbs and text messages and yes and likes and retweets but even beyond that, like interpersonal communication is a skill that we're culturally losing mm-hmm. um, with this, this like I generation, the generation Z um, that's just below our generation of millennials that um, they're so engrossed in social media that they've forgotten how to have that kind of communication, that contact. And yeah. it, it can lend toward being very comfortable. Um, so uh, St. Augustine. Uh, talks about this. He says, since God is the highest good, he would not... (laughs) Since God is the highest good... I don't know what just happened. My brain was like, you're not going to be allowed to talk anymore. (laughs) Since God is the highest good, he would not allow any evil to exist in his works unless his omnipotence and goodness were such as to bring good even out of evil. And so what St. Augustine is saying is that Yes, we're all created for goodness, but because of the will that we've been given by God, the free will, evil exists. Yeah. God would not allow that evil to exist unless his own all-powerful, all-good nature would be able to bring goodness even out of that evil. And so that's kind of what we're talking about. We're not advocating for, you know, evil is better than being comfortable, like going out and doing outright evil willingly. But we're saying like, People who are opposed to God, who are doing things that look like they're against the right or against maybe the dignity of human life or against the dignity of the person or they're you know, involved in human trafficking or all these different things, um, that they're not, they're not better necessarily than someone who's not doing anything, but they're probably more easily diverted to making their actions into good ones. 
And we see that in the ministry of Jesus. Like when people are completely running away or complete, like I'm thinking of like the woman at the well, um, the, the hemorrhaging woman who's been ostracized, like all these people who are on the outskirts and who are seen as bad, seen as evil. God can direct them back to the good mm-hmm. because they're already acting. They're already reaching out. They're already doing something, whether they're running away or they're whatever it might be. Um, but they're not just sitting there, yeah. you know, um, never in the gospels to my knowledge, do you see like, you know, and then Jesus called Ted who was just sitting around at the well every day doing <laughs> nothing and, you know, shouting at passersby occasionally, you know, like it wasn't, yeah. it's like all these people who were, they were out acting. acting either in their native trade, doing something that they thought was good, yeah. or they were like actively doing something that was bad. Like tax, the tax collector, Matthew, um, he was, you know, doing corrupt practices and things like that. But because he was already, he was already acting, he was already um, exercising his free will. When God comes and corrects that and shares with him the truth, he can just reorient his will to the mm-hmm. good. But it's much harder to activate someone's will and to be like, no, you need to be doing something. Mm-hmm. I think we all know people who are just like those people who like they won't get their act together and just make take a chance to like change their life situation. You know, like they're always yeah. complaining about like, oh, like, a, you know, I can't get the, the type of job that I want or school isn't working out or, you know, when am I going to find, you know, my vocation or person I'm going to marry or all my relationships. But they're just like sit on the couch all the time. Slap them. Yeah. They don't, they don't, they don't share their resume. They don't apply for jobs. Yeah. They don't like apply themselves in their work or their school life. And they expect all their friends to kind of come to them. And it's like, look, like if you put in an ounce of effort. Um, even if the effort is misplaced, even if you do it in the wrong way, like you're going to be practicing how to exercise your will. And the next time that choice happens, now that you've practiced it, it'll be much easier for you to choose the good right? because you're, you're doing something. Right. Well, we see that with, um, Saul who became Paul. Mm-hmm. You see how he was such a, <laughs> he was acting and going and doing what he thought was right and yeah. killing Christians. And then Christ woke him up to truth and who he was and he became Paul and became um, a mover and a shaker. <laughs> you know what I just thought of? No. Like, like when those people who Paul persecuted and killed like got to heaven oh. and then Paul dies and gets to heaven and he, they see what him the heck? and they're like, wait a minute. <laughs> what the heck is going on here? This is some kind of sham. And no, probably like they would have the fullness Obviously, of knowledge, you know, but like, but like <laughs> that's like how counterintuitive this seems. It's yeah. like we look at some people just as, as, as bad or as evil, but what really we need to be cognizant of is the ways that, um, we're being indifferent. We're being completely complacent and comfortable, uh, and striving for just like convenience, like the bare minimum in life rather than really answering that call that God has placed on us. I think this is really manifested in the, um, the story of the rich young man is in Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 17. Um, and so Jesus was setting out a journey. A man runs up to him and he kneels down and he asks him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this always stands out to me. And this is why I chose this, this verse, because I remember Jesus saying this and I'm always like, why do you say that? He says, why do you call me good? That's how he answers. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And so the rich young man replies and he says to Jesus, Teacher, all these things I've observed from my youth. So Jesus looks at him 
It says, he loved him and said to him, you are lacking in one thing. Go, sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Mm. At that statement, his face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. And then we have this whole thing that Jesus says, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven? It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for one who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. There's a lot to unpack in that. But like, first of all, this whole idea, like the rich young man, he knows. He knows what's true. He's observed the commandments. But in essence, all you really have to do to observe the commandments is like kind of not do the bad thing. Yeah. There, you know, the commandments aren't saying like, um, you know, honor your father and mother in the sense that like, um, affirm them every single day and thank them and, and give gratitude to them for everything that they're doing. Those are actions. I would say that they imply that, but if you're just trying to like, okay, my goal in life is to not break the Ten Commandments, then you're probably just going to sit around and just not do anything bad. <laughs> you really just, yeah. But at the same time, you're not doing anything good either. Yeah. You're just kind of like preventing any action from taking place. And so when Jesus tells him then, kind of calling him out in his comfort and saying, you are lacking in one thing, go and sell everything you have, do something about it, act on it, that's when he goes away sad. Because mm-hmm. I think the rich young man has become comfortable and his wealth has made him uncomfortable. And that's why Jesus says this interesting thing, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that also has to do with um, the whole eye of a needle geography yeah. of Jerusalem. You know, if you've ever been to Jerusalem or seen pictures, they have these little eye of a needle passages in the walls and in the gates of the city. Which, um, which look like... They look like, yeah, and almost or almost like a big keyhole. Yeah, like a keyhole. Um, and the reason it's designed that way is so, like, if anyone ever were to attack Jerusalem, you couldn't swarm in with an army. They would almost have to single file through these Go tiny through. openings, yeah. um, and it would be much easier to defend the city from one breach in the wall... Uh, from one single file line of intruders than this whole like a swarm of a regiment. But also, <clears throat> there was this path leading up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is on this hilltop. Um, what was it like, was it like 2,000 feet above sea level or something like that? And the Dead Sea is like 1,200 feet below sea level. So if you're making the journey up to Jerusalem, you're ascending quite a bit. And there's this zigzagging and narrowing pathway called the Eye of the Needle. And people would often travel up that way. It was the only way into the city from that direction. And so if they were coming with a camel, it was really, really difficult. And so when, um, when Jesus says this, when I, I mean, when you first hear this, a camel, I have a needle, really. Like you're thinking yeah, of a legitimate needle, a needle and a camel. Yeah. And you're basically saying, okay, Jesus hates rich people. Like that's like <laughs> your one interpretation. Like unless yeah. like, yeah, there's no way. There's no way. Um, But what he's really saying is, you know, this practice of when a traveler would come with his camel to enter Jerusalem through those eye of a needle gates, what would have to happen was the camel would have to be completely um, unpacked of all the gear that the camel was carrying. And the camel actually had to crouch down. You had to get the camel to kind of kneel and you had to push the camel through the eye of a needle. And so it's really what Jesus is saying is that's really a metaphor for us. That as we journey through life, if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven, we have to be willing to part with the things that we have. We have to be willing to get down on our knees. And we have to be willing to be pushed through situations that are difficult, where it feels like we have nothing, you know, no possessions, no, you know, um, skin in the game, nothing going right for us, maybe. And to rely on the fact that Jesus is going to be with us, that Jesus is going to push us through. Um, That's really how to interpret this passage. And that's this whole idea of goodness. Um, that God 
God wills our good. God wants your good. I don't know if you ever thought about that before. Like, like, okay, yeah, I hear God loves me all the time. Like, no, God wants your highest good. Like, God wants you to, like, if you have a good life right now, he wants it to be even better. Like, yeah. think about that. You specifically, not just everyone, but you specifically, God wants your highest good. And sometimes we don't understand the difficulty that is required in getting there. Um, but what matters is that we act and that we don't just get complacent with what we already have or with what we don't have and just kind of sit and whine or complain about it or do yeah. nothing, be indifferent, just try and be convenient, you know. Um, but God is calling us to move, to act. Um, and that's something that, that we need to learn how to do again. And it always looks different for each person. And I think when we think of like God wants us our highest good, Sometimes we automatically think of the possessions, the like, I don't know, the highest achievement, the things that we think is our best good is not going to be the same as what God thinks is going to be our greatest good. Yeah. Um, He's always going to call us to something a thousand times better than what we think he's going to call us to. But a lot of people think that that's not necessarily what God wants for you is that he yeah. wants your best and he wants a lot of the people have this like suffering, um, concept that you have to suffer in order to be Catholic or you have mm. to suffer in order for God to, that to be like your highest good. Like God wants you to suffer. God doesn't want you to suffer. No, that's not, no, that's not what he wants. He wants your good, but suffering does come along with that sometimes. Yeah. I mean, suffering is a part of life. Yeah. Inevitably, all of us are going to suffer. Yeah. Um, you know, unless like you're an immortal hermit who, <laughs> you know, who, who just is, everything is provided for them, you know, out in some recluse place with another immortal hermit that's your like best friend or spouse that like ever you know like yeah. but death illness like suffering is comes about in so many different life. ways you know um traffic is suffering in a sense like you know it's it's something that is a disorder you know mm-hmm. it's something that is not convenient not fun you know mm-hmm. nobody's like yes traffic you know like well maybe maybe there are those special people out there but um well if you're in traffic you get to listen to our podcast. True, you know, you so might be excited you're not to be in traffic. Suffering that much? Yeah. Maybe you might be excited to be in traffic because that's your prayer time or something. <laughs> but um, like, look at Peter and Judas. Okay, Peter and Judas, they both, in a sense, turned away from Jesus. They both denied him in in, in one sense or another. Judas sold him out to the Pharisees, betrayed him, um, and Peter betrayed him in words by denying him three times. So both of these men knew the good, knew the source of good even, knew Jesus himself, and yet chose to do bad, chose to, dis, to, to do the opposite of that good, to pursue the opposite of that good. However, both of those actions were redeemable. And Judas even, he does repent in the end. He goes back, he throws the 30 pieces of silver back, but he doesn't allow his recognition of that repentance to bring him back to the source of good to Jesus. And so he ends up taking his own life. Peter, however, does he does. He repents and Jesus asks him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he has those three answers. And Peter answers every time, you know, yes, Lord, I love you. Um, That that's something to, to recognize. Like, even if you feel like you are completely 
like opposed to what it might look like to live a life for the Lord. Maybe you're making, you've made a lot of bad decisions or maybe you constantly struggle with something and you know the good and you keep falling into this habit. Like to recognize that like God can still use your will and just reorient it. It's almost like a ship that's going in the wrong direction. All it needs is a wind and a little twist of the sail to go back on course. However, if there's no wind, if the boat doesn't know how to have wind and the sail's not up because it doesn't want to move, it's just going to float there forever. Yeah, you have to put your sails up. Yes. So the idea of getting out of this comfort is kind of putting your sail up and Uh just saying like, okay, I'm going to do something. Or maybe it's like, God, lead me. And you kind of, you make a decision, you make a choice. um, And if that choice is right or wrong, like if you're tapping into the spirit, if you're allowing yourself to just invite God into that and be in relationship with him, he'll tweak and orient your path to find the right way. Mm -hmm. Even if that means a 180 degree turn. But... Even if it's a 180 degree turn, like now you're on the right path, you know? And so that's kind of this idea is that <clears throat> good and bad are traditionally opposed. But like, if you're comfortable, like you're not, you're not even exercising the free will that God gave you. I just thought of Moana <laughs> when she's in the middle of the ocean yeah. and there's no wind <laughs> and just how she's just sitting there. I don't know. It, Cause God sometimes won't move you. Like they, mm-hmm. he just like, you're going to just stay right here and this is what you're going to do. Yeah. You're going to be right here. But there's a difference between being right here because with your sails it's up, convenient. Though. Yeah. With your sails up, like ready and willing yes. and discerning and listening or just being right here because you don't want to be moved. Yeah. You know? And I think that's the real struggle of our culture is that like we are so used to being comfortable, so used yeah. to convenience you know, Amazon, same day, next day shipping, oh my gosh, Amazon's amazing. Um, you know, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, um, you know, Google, Siri, Alexa, like all these different things. Like they're all things at our fingertips constantly yeah. for our comfort and convenience. And what are they preventing us from doing is actually doing something worth doing, going out, you know, interacting with people. Remember what that is when you actually talk to someone, you know, like you call someone and say, Hey, I would like to order this. And you have a conversation on it. You know what a phone is, you know, like, I feel like that's like where we're going as a culture and we're losing that, that idea of like interacting and doing something a little bit uncomfortable. And, and then beyond that, when it comes to things that are really important, like issues of social justice or dignity of life or being responsible to one another, like we, have completely lost the the art of actually doing something that matters. Well, I have to be very careful about how I word this. Um, first, my first thought was, in the future, are we just going to stay in our homes and not interact with anybody but our like immediate person that we live with? And just... Because we could. And we, we could. would eventually get to that point where we're just ordering things or like the necess- necessary stuff that we need. Huh. You have a home office home with and, Google Hangouts, like, yeah. and all the faces, and like, oh no, I saw this whole group of people today. Yeah. And then the second <clears throat> thought that I had was, we, there's this newer trend that, I mean, it's been happening for a while, but that you can have church at home. Yes, yeah. And just watch church at home. Yeah. But, like, you lose your community, you lose that connection that God yeah. created through the church, and then... You're, it's convenient, mass and church and your relationship with God, it's not supposed to be convenient. Yeah. There's no movement if you're just sitting on your couch. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, I am grateful that we have that op- 
option for people that are homebound, that can't move, that yeah. can't go out. Um, I'm grateful for that option if you just, that's like all you can do for that day and yeah. you still need to get filled some way. But the convenience of church being at home and that is what you do every Sunday. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I watch Mass. Yeah. And by watching Mass, I mean like I turn it on at like 10:15 when it's like the second reading and then once like the like the Eucharistic prayer's done or communion's done like, you know, cuz especially if you're not there receiving, you know, like You're not receiving the same. Why watch the liturgy of the Eucharist, you know? Yeah. Like I would imagine I would imagine there's a lot of people who quote unquote watch Mass, a recorded televised version of Mass, who don't need it because they're sick and homebound. Um, or who aren't watching it just because like, oh, I really like that homily when I was there on Sunday and because it's recorded, I can go back and listen to it again. I think there's a lot of people who probably just like watch it and be like, oh, this is good enough. You know, I heard the readings, heard the readings proclaimed. I, um, I did the motions. I heard the homily. That's all I need. I sang the songs, you know, church, church isn't about the message and the music. Church is about the person of Jesus Christ. Active being there and yeah, encountering Christ. Yeah. That's through why, the community and through the Eucharist. Yeah. Not just through the Eucharist, but through the community too, the people that are around you. Yeah. And I, I don't know how many of you have ever been to a Mass where there's no music and no homily. Because that happens at some daily Masses or when you're on a pilgrimage Mass mm-hmm. or something like that. That can happen. Um, you don't necessarily need to have a homily um, when you gather together to, to pray Mass. But when you do that, you recognize like, oh, those other things are kind of like the more optional they're they're necessary to have, especially for a Sunday mass. But if you're doing like a daily weekday mass, um, you know we would do this when when we'd travel or when we'd go on vacation um, or on pilgrimages, and we had a priest around. Like he'd say mass, find a place to say mass every day, and we'd do like you know the quick daily masses, and you know he just wouldn't give a homily, you yeah. know, because there was maybe eight of us there, you know, um, and we all understood like the reason we were gathering is because of the Eucharist, right. you know, that's the purpose. But so anyways, getting back to this Sorry. idea of there being, no, 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 I think that's, that speaks exactly to this whole issue. Um, so there's another side of this goodness and badness because the goodness, um, this, uh, transcendental desire for the good is also understood as justice. Um, this is another way that it's commonly listed. So if you've ever seen the desi- our desire for perfect justice, and this I think is where you can also understand what we mean by good and bad, because when we're thinking about an issue. Let's take uh, immigration, for instance, mm-hmm. um, a heated debate that's happened over the past you know, few months. Immigrations, refugees, DACA, Dreamers, like all those, those different things have been in the news. Um, when you're on two sides of an issue and you're divided politically, you can often see your own view as good, as just, and the other ones as bad and unjust. And you're opposing, you're putting them in, in opposite. However, there's this really beautiful Jesuit understanding that we can um, we can adopt to kind of help us see like how these neither is really evil or bad because of the intention involved. It's really the people who aren't doing anything that are committing the greatest evil. And so what I mean by that is um, think about any issue. You know, if you think about let's let's say abortion. We're going to do our next episode actually on, on abortion. So um, if you have questions about that issue, we're going to talk all about that issue from a lot of different angles. But um, let's talk about that issue for a second. Um, I don't, me personally, and Jenna, you can chime in on this if you disagree, that's totally cool. But me personally, I don't think that there are people on, let's say, the pro-life side of the abortion debate 
who believe that, honestly believe that if a mother does get an abortion, that she's evil and she should be punished, or that um, the people who, um, you know, support support abortion should be evil and should be punished or there's no evil intention and the reason why we believe that abortion is wrong the reason why is because we have the child and the mother's best intentions at heart yes okay think about this okay this might be hard for you to think about but because of the way this debate is is um talked about i'm not advocating for abortion in any sense okay i want to say that first but i want you to think about the let's play devil's advocate for a second the people who are on the pro-choice side of the debate or of the issue I personally don't think that any one of them, for the most part, like that the majority of them, are waking up in the morning, being, you know, an advocate for pro-choice values or legislation, and saying, I have evil intentions and I want to destroy the lives of children. children. I want to actively murder or kill children. Most of them either, A, have thought by being misled or by, you know... Uh um, improper research that that child isn't even alive or something like that because that's part of the media discourse that's not an excuse for them to believe what they do but they really if you listen to their their debates they are it's evident to me that they believe that they have the woman's best interest at heart yes that they want to protect her in situation that's why they always advocate for things like what about rape incest medical you know it's not because they're I, I don't think a lot of them are trying to use the less than 1% that those cases are of abortion cases to justify the rest. I think that they really think that that is the issue that we're talking about right. and that they want to protect the dignity of the mother who's being victimized in this situation. Right. Um, however, because these two views are totally opposed, if both of, if the truth is brought to both of those people, they can have a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, Let's say both those people realize like, oh, scientifically we do see that there's life evidence at conception. I don't want to go too much into this because we're going to talk about this in our next episode. But, you know, it's easier to have a conversation about that because the other side is not saying like, no, we are evil and we just want to destroy these people. No, but so often that's how some conversations, it's like both sides. Both sides see the other one as like, oh yeah. Yeah, and so that conversation can't happen. Pro-choice debate will see pro-lifers as like, oh no, you... Um, you're just anti-abortion. You're just trying to kill babies. Yeah, and... you're, no, no. Pro, pro oh, choice people. Will say, yeah, you, you don't Sorry. care about the mother. Right. All you care about is the baby. And then once the baby's born, you don't provide any resources. Right. You know, and you know, that is, is part of a debate. You know, pro, if we're pro-life, we can't just be mm-hmm. talking only about abortion. Um, you know, yes, if we don't deal with the abortion debate, there's no lives then to protect in that sense. So they are the most vulnerable. But we also have to make sure that we're investing in families and single yes. mothers and people who've been victimized um, and things like that. And then at the same time, pro-lifers will look at the pro-choicers and say, those people are evil. How can they support that? How can they end the, um, a human life? And maybe they don't know. Maybe they don't know that that child is alive. Or maybe they don't even realize that that's the debate because they're so, they've been so ingrained with this thought that, it's the mother. It's the mother. It's her body. Yeah. And we got to protect her choice and her right and her body. And they're, they're well-intentioned. I do believe that they have good... No one is going to act on these things as passionately as they do if they have like completely, purely evil intentions. And there are people... I do believe there are people out there who do that. But I think they are such a rarity yes. that it can't, it can't lend itself to our discourse. And this is something that comes down to as simple as like, you know, when we're dealing with like confirmation teens... 
and we're dealing with their parents. Oh my gosh. And sometimes like parents will come to us and act like, why, why are you guys against us? Like it's me against yeah. you. Or we'll do that to parents and be like, why doesn't this parent get it? Why isn't this parent doing this? And to realize like, wait a minute, like we both want the good for this teenager. Maybe we're just approaching it two different ways. Uh-huh. Um, and it's the same thing with that type of debate. Both sides in their discourse, I believe a majority of both sides want what they see as the best, highest good for the mother and the child. But it's been distorted. It's been distorted in the way that we perceive the other side and also in the way that um, we argue for what that actual highest good is. Um, And that's when we get into this idea of justice and injustice. Um, To realize that our action is what's important. Um, and I know that's something that just, it sounds so counterintuitive because I don't want you to think that I'm saying like that everything that we believe is good, it's not that bad to believe the opposite. What it, It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if people do believe the opposite, that they probably believe so because it's a, they think it's the best decision to make. It, they're well-intentioned. They're not purely evil people. Um, yeah. But the worst thing that we can do is not advocate, is not speak out is not be exercising the free will that God has given us. That's this whole idea of goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, that when you've already started running, it's easier to change direction. When you've already let your sails up and the wind is taking you, it's easier to adjust them and change your course. But if you're just sitting there, sails down, doing nothing, not caring, not being willing to advocate for the issues that matter, that is the most dangerous place that you can be in because you are allowing yourself to abandon and surrender the one quality that separates us from others, and that's our free will, from other creatures. Our free will, our reason, our ability to act and choose freely on our own. Like, if we don't have that, we, we're animals. How boring of a life, too, though. Yeah. To just lay around, or just to sit and not have a fire. Like, some sort of fire, you know? That, that you are not moving in one way, one direction, or the <clears throat> other. And how... That's just boring and you're not living you're just existing at that point and i think this is a good thing to think about for us personally so if you're listening to this and you're like okay that's great like maybe this might help in my conversation with people that i like get in yelling debates at you know about things but maybe it's an opportunity for us to look at our own lives and say like okay how am i being complacent how am i allowing myself to be overly comfortable or overly enticed by matters of convenience that prevent me from acting in such a way to be in relationship with people, to share the gospel with them, to do things that really matter, to really um, pursue and advocate for, you know, a relationship with Jesus Christ and evangelize. Um, It could be something as simple as, um, do you always order your Starbucks on the app and just go pick it up so you don't have to to interact with anyone? Yeah. And maybe you fast from that and you you make a point to have an intentional three second encounter with the barista behind behind the counter or actually wait in line and pray in line or talk to other people in line. Like, can you imagine like actually talking to another human that you don't know? People used to do that. I know it's, it's like a cutting edge. Bro. I have so many like. teams that say that they order off the app because they don't want to talk to exactly. people. Exactly. Not because they need to get out of there. Cause I'll order off the app if I like, Oh, I have to get in and I get, I have to get out yes. really fast. But I have so many teams that have said, Oh yeah, I don't want to make eye contact. Yeah. I don't want to talk to the person at the counter. So I just order and I've been sitting here for 10 minutes. Yes. <gasps> what? Think about this. 
Why do you use express checkout machines? They never work. Oh, yeah. They never work. And when they never work, inevitably someone comes over and slides their card and punches their number in. But you're still looking at the screen. You don't have to look them in the yeah. eye. And yet we still always use those at every opportunity because we don't want to go up to the regular counter and have to answer a simple question like, Oh, What's hi, how are you? phone number? <laughs> yeah. Hi, how are you? Did you find everything okay? Oh, do you have a membership? That <laughs> Same questions that we know to expect, you know? Yeah. And yet we're so uncomfortable or we're so comfortable... And so not willing to be uncomfortable that we go through all of the, we jump through all of these hoops of convenience mm-hmm. so we don't have to interact with another human. And that's just so sad. You know, I, so that's something that I think we just really need to think about in this issue. It's like, how are you and I allowing ourselves to be too comfortable, to be kind of almost sterile to human interaction? Because... That's where we can really slip into this dangerous place where we, um, our life is just patterned by convenience. And when someone says, oh, you got to share the gospel with other people, you got to, you know, wear your heart on your sleeve, you got to um, find other people to, to tell about Jesus Christ, who do you have? Like, who's, what pool are you drawn from? You maybe got like your little brother who's just there because they live in the same house, but you really don't talk. Um, and then maybe people at school that you sit with. Or, you know, people job that you work with, but there's no one that you're really like interacting with intentionally beyond what's bare minimum for you to survive and get by in life. Um, so I don't know if that makes sense, but I think like that's just something that we can use as a litmus test for if we're being too comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, when it comes to things like discernment, we talked about this, I think, in our discernment episode. Make a decision. If you're sitting around waiting for your life to happen, Stop. Because the only person that's going to make it happen is you. Like, that's the whole idea of free will. Um, so if you're just sitting there, like, relaxing, um, you know, it's a good to relax. It's good to recharge. But if your whole day culminates in getting home so you can sit on the couch with ice cream and watch Netflix, and I'm saying this to you as someone who did that very thing last night. So I understand the <laughs> desire to want to do that. <laughs> but if that's what you do every single day, day in and day out, when you could be out with people, having dinner with a friend, um, talking to that barista, going and having human interaction, going and, and getting some fresh air and going on a walk and maybe seeing someone with a dog and saying, like, hey, can I pet your dog? How are you? Someone you know, like, you know, I'm just saying like, you know, how... Don't interact with the human, yes. just the animal. Yes. I feel like we've developed a new sport as a human culture and it's when you see the eyes of another person run away. Yeah. Like that's like, it's, and it's just called... Avoiding? Avoid, yeah, the avoiding game. Like that's what... <laughs> I was trying to think of a snappy title, but Sorry. that's okay. <clears throat> so snappy. how are you pursuing the good? Um, what is good? What is good? How do we know that what we're doing is good? What we're doing is not just comfortable. Um, the best definition I came across of good when I was prepping this episode was that, that goodness or this idea of justice, it's virtue and holiness in action. Virtue and holiness in action. So you can be the holiest person in the world. But if you're not acting, you're not doing good. If you're not acting upon that, you're not doing good. You can know the complete truth of Catholicism, of who God is, of who his son is and how he was the revelation of God and died for your sins and and rose for your sins to be redeemed. For you to go to heaven, you know the church, you know all of its teachings, and yet you do nothing about it. Like Then that's not goodness. You're not fulfilling this desire that you have for the good to be acted out and also to be met in your your um, in the desire that you have. B 
beyond that, I mean, just think about what in, in everyday life, what leads you closer to heaven? What leads you closer to God? Um, there's always going to be gray area situations, you know, like, um, I'm trying to think of an example of like one that's not as clear cut, but, um, do I have dinner with my family tonight or do I go, um, you know, to this party with some friends and not that it's a bad party that like they're going to be doing anything bad there. Um, but you know, you're in this gray area situation. Maybe I don't know which one's going to lead me closer to God. Maybe I don't know which one's going to lead me closer to heaven and maybe ask yourself, okay, which, which builds me and others up best, which honors human dignity best. Um, maybe you haven't seen your family in a while and maybe, um, that relationship there is getting more and more strained. Then maybe it'd be better for you to go home and invest and spend time with them. Um, but maybe you've been reclusive. Maybe you've fallen into this comfort thing. Maybe you've been too selfish in your friendships and waiting for them to come to you and you really need to go and spend some intentional time with your friends. That's honoring their dignity. Does that make sense? Like Mm -hmm. in some of these gray area situations, it's not as clear cut as what's going to get me closer to heaven. What's going to bring me closer to God. It's more about like, what is just, what is right? What honors the human dignity of myself and other people in such a way that it's going to bring about the highest good. Yeah. It's not like, do I eat this avocado? Or eat peanut butter. Yeah. <laughs> That's... Yeah, there are people out there who turn discernment into an Olympic sport and they yes. need to stop because like... I love it. <clears throat> it's like they can't Tell me make... which one. <laughs> it's like they can't make a single decision without feeling like that Jesus like put his stamp of approval on yeah. it. And it's like, okay, if he wanted you to be a robot, he would not have given you free will. So you just need to like... Choose. Buck up and act. Make a decision... And then that discernment process carries into the choice and the consequences of that choice and helps you know, okay, do I need to shift my sails a little bit or am I going in the right direction? Yeah. But if you don't move, if you don't put your sails up, you know, and you don't have a direction in mind, then you're just going to, you know, and, and this is something to be aware of too. Like people who are, who sail know this, that the winds, if you've ever seen a wind map when you're sailing, they're not just like, oh, this wind always goes north. It's crazy. And it'll you can sail in circles if you don't make adjustments. And so just because you're putting your sails up and saying like, all right, come Holy Spirit, tell me what to do. If you're not making a choice to be like, okay, uh, I think I'm just going to go that way because I think that's north. And I'm going to wait until I see a landmark. And then if I do, I'm going to make an adjustment. Right. Um, because otherwise, the winds might take you who knows where. And you can be lost out at sea for the rest of your life. That's a very common misconception, too, of how the Lord works. Yeah. He will move us, but you do have to make a choice and you have to go. Yeah. It's you have not, to allow yourself to be moved. Yeah. And then you recognize in that decision that you are making, am I going with the wind or against the wind? Uh-huh. And when you're sailing, you recognize that pretty quickly. Because if you're going against the wind, you're like, uh, I think the mass is going to break. Um, and Or I'm going backwards. Going Things are way. slamming together and this doesn't seem very smooth. Um, and yet, you just move that sail to catch the wind in the right direction. And you're just going perfectly straight, you know. Um, and so I think that's just something to, to recognize. Like, you, you see the consequence of your action pretty quickly thereafter. In my experience. Yeah. But you have to act. You have to make the decision. I think people get frustrated in discernment and in in discerning what is good and what is bad in this given situation or not. um, That they can't make a decision. It paralyzes them. And and these are the people that I find hardest to be around. Hardest to interact with. Hardest to encourage. Hardest to pray with. Because they're not doing anything. They just... You ask them what's going on in their life, nothing's different. You ask them, you know, like what they want to be doing, they just complain about the things that aren't falling in their lap. And it's like, okay, like I can't help you. Yeah. 
because you are not helping yourself. You know, it's like someone who's stuck on that ship without the sail up is like calling me on the phone and I'm on land somewhere and they're like, Hey, I need you to really like tell me where to go. Uh, and I'm like, I'm not there, you know, like, have you put your sail up? And they're like, actually, can you just like, can you figure out how to send the wind in my direction? Like, can you do that? It's like, okay, like, it's just, they make it so complicated. It's just like, just do something, make a decision, see what happens and then act or react based on the consequence. Um, but if you're not acting, if you're comfortable, then what point is there? Um, so when it comes to other people's actions, Always try to keep that Jesuit mentality of assuming the other person has the best intentions. And if you don't understand them, then maybe it's just you that's misunderstanding. And to try and understand. To try and help yourself understand what direction are they going and how are your directions similar or how can you maybe help orient their momentum to help know the truth. And not just divide yourselves between good and bad, right and wrong, just and unjust. Um, But also in our own lives, in the ways that we've been comfortable, um, to always... See it as, you know, where, where are my actions bearing fruit? And so I want to, uh, before we talk about our saint um, or saint in the making, um, I want to leave you with a quote. Uh, this is St. Angela Marici, um, who says, A good tree that is a good heart, as well as a soul on fire with charity, can do nothing but good and holy works. Let me say that again. A good tree that is a good heart, as well as a soul on fire with charity, can do nothing but good and and holy works. And if we're too caught up in being comfortable, then that might as well just end with can do nothing. <laughs> like there's no works, there's no fruits. So Jenna, tell us a little bit about the person that we're going to be talking about today who obviously did some good and holy works. Okie dokie. So we're talking about Dorothy Day. Um, now Dorothy Day is not a saint. She's a saint in the making. Um, kind of. Is she? She's not even really... Her case has been opened. I know that. Yeah, that's so she's, she's like really servant of God. Is that what her title is? I should have. Or that venerable. Part up. We will have to look that part up and put it in our show notes. Yeah. Um. So I think it's servant of God when their when their case has been opened. Yeah. And then when it's approved that they're gonna pursue it, then it's venerable, and then first miracles blessed, second miracles saint. Yeah. I think so. I think servant of right. God Dorothy Day. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So she was a writer, an editor, and a social reformer. Um, She was born in November, sorry, not in, on November 8th, 1897 in New York City. Um, Now, Dorothy Day was very radical for her time. She was uh, working for a lot of social causes um, and women's suffrage. She, I'm going to say this wrong, pacifist? No, that's right. That's right? Okay. So she was a pacifist, which is the belief that any violence, including war, is unjustifiable under any circumstances, and that all disputes should be settled by peaceful means. So So she was... When was she born? uh, 1897. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So she... That's a pretty radical belief to be having at that time when world wars were coming. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So she believed that, that everything should be settled by peaceful means, um, and so she was a great activist in that. Now, she was the third of five children born to her parents, um, Grace and John, and they worked as journalists, too, so it's probably where she got her desire to write. Um, let's see. 
she was super smart, like super duper smart. And so she went to the University of Illinois and she only stayed there for two years. So she was enrolled in 1914 and then she <clears throat> left in 1916 to go to New York City to just do and act and be. Um, and this woman, she had a lot of men in her life. <laughs> Um, a lot of different relationships that resulted in a lot of turmoil and a lot of heartbreak. Um, one of the first ones was another writer and she became pregnant with his child and listened to him because he wanted her to get an abortion. So she got an abortion and shortly after uh, that happened, their relationship didn't last. Literally a couple of years later, she was then married to somebody else. Um, they toured Europe together and then that ended within a year. She got into another relationship where she uh, was happily I'm sorry, she wasn't happily married. She was never married. Um, but she had a child with him. And that child was then baptized into the Catholic Church, which was the start of Dorothy Day's um, awakening to the Catholic Church and her faith. Um, she converted to Catholicism in 1927. And after her conversion, she actually left the man that she had a child with. Um, but she greatly, greatly, greatly loved him, but she knew it was best for herself. And so she left. Um, and in 1932, her and Peter Morin, I believe is how to say his name, he was a French immigrant and former Christian brother. They started a newspaper called The Catholic Worker. And the Catholic Worker, it promoted Catholic teachings and examined um, social issues. And so this publication was extremely successful. And what it started was the Catholic Worker Movement, which followed its religious principles to tackle issues of social justice. And as part of the movement, it, it was a strong belief in hospitality. And so um, through the Catholic Worker Movement, which a lot of people are very, very aware of, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of houses. They started all these houses to house people, um, housing women that needed housing, um, people that lived on the street, they housed them. So this movement was uh, huge and is still huge today. Yeah. Um, and so she continued to dedicate her life to adopting her faith and um, spreading her social beliefs and her Catholic beliefs. And she passed away on November 29th, 1980 at one of the houses called Mary House. Um, it was one of the Catholic settlement houses that she had helped, helped establish. And she has established more than 200 communities communities across the United States and another 28 communities abroad. Wow. Which is insane. One woman. Now, um, I love two of her quotes. The first one, I firmly believe that our salvation depends on the poor. Mm. And the second one, love casts out fear, but we have to get over the fear in order to get close enough to love them. I love that second quote because it involves action. Yeah. Fear makes you sedentary. Fear makes you stop and freeze and not move. And she's saying, no, 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 no. Get over your fear. Move past your fear so that you can get close enough to love people. Because that's something that we were, I mean, we were talking about with the Starbucks. Like, yeah. <laughs> people not wanting to move and interact because we're afraid. <laughs> so Dorothy Day was very much 
a mover and a shaker and she believed in that movement and not being sedentary and um not being complacent and comfortable and going out she didn't live a very comfortable life uh, and she moved past that and yeah. she just acted and loved so that's Dorothy Day yeah and I love that that second quote kind of brings us full circle because like the fear aspect like these five uncomfortable middle or sorry these five comfortable middle points that are pervasive in our culture often appear together yeah you know, it's not like you're going to be like, yeah, like I have really authentic love and this idea of who I am as a child of God and that, you know, his truth is really ingrained in all I do. And, you know, I'm about all natural beauty and, and you know, like pursuing things that are really beautiful and not just what's glamorous and popular. But I don't really do anything to act on those things. I'm just really comfortable. Like the, that's you would notice that as like that's really strange. But most often they come like paired or, in, or maybe all of them are there like. You know, um, this idea of being afraid to move, which is very linked with comfort uh-huh. or um, just being so comfortable that you only settle for what's glamorous or so comfortable that you just tolerate everyone's beliefs and you don't share the truth with them in moments of difficulty or um, that you, because of that tolerance you have of other people and yourself, it's just about tokenism and who's, you know, doing this or that, you know, and, and their identity is in their the things that they're um, one aspect of who they are. And so these things are all connected. And so if you find that like one of them is prevalent in your life, um, you're probably going to see the other ones pop up and really be challenged by them. And so we hope that this series has blessed you. We hope that it's helped you realize maybe the ways that as Catholics, we need to be become comfortable with being countercultural. Mm-hmm. We need to become comfortable with acting in ways that the culture says we shouldn't be. Um, we need to be casting out fear and not being afraid to have those conversations, not being uncomfortable uh, to encounter people, to share with them the truth of who God is, the beauty of who God is, and not settling for false counterfeit beauty and sharing people that their full identity is as a child of God and not just in one particular thing about them. Um, and so we, we hope that this has inspired you to maybe bring about some action in your own life. Dorothy Day, as Jenna said, was a very controversial figure and remains to be at this day. I actually don't even, don't know with confidence if her cause for sainthood will make it all the way to canonization, but she lived a very admirable life and she was someone that was on the fringes of both edges of Catholicism and felt very kind of ostracized by both. And yet she persevered and acted and just loved the person in front of her as Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to do ultimately. Um, And so, because <clears throat> that's what Jesus did, right? He was yeah. on the fringes of not only those who saw themselves as ostracized from society and like, why is this guy talking to me? But also the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and the, and, and the Essenes. Like he was, he was someone who was very much that type of figure. Well, her first quote is, I firmly believe that our salvation depends on the poor. So yeah. very much so. Yes. Yeah. And who did Jesus minister to the most, you know? So, and that's something that can be uncomfortable. Um, you know, that next homeless person that you see, um, maybe God isn't just calling you to give them $5 or a candy bar or something like that, but maybe he's asking you to sit and ask them their name and pray with them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uncomfortable, but that obviously is just, and that's good because it's honoring the dignity of the other person. And that's what we talked about in that definition of goodness, virtue and holiness in action, something that honors the dignity of all involved. Until next time, uh, please <laughs> like this uh, episode um, on social media. Follow us on social media at Man of Food for Thought on Instagram. It's probably the best place. Um, 
Go to our website, manafoodforthought.com, or email us with episode suggestions at manafoodforthought at gmail.com. Um, and support us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, and you get access to patron-only content. That information is on our website. Uh, please rate and review this podcast on whatever medium you are listening to it on, um, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes. It helps other people find it. Share it with your friends. And until next time, we will see you in the Eucharist. Bye. Bye.